on on. Technology's great when it works, not so great when it doesn't, but most of the time, me, it's, it's me who has caused it not to work. Uh, I asked my wife um, to hand me a, a quarter this morning because, well, see, there we go. I've already lost it. Quarter's under the pulpit, but I've checked it. I know what's on it. Uh, the reason I asked my wife to hand me a quarter is because if you pull out uh, a coin, or if you pull out a dollar bill, if you pull out any piece of U.S. currency, you will see uh, three words not in English on it. You'll see three words in Latin. And those three words read, E pluribus unum. If you were to translate that into English, you would find out that those three words mean out of many, one. Unity is a good thing, isn't it? Unity is a good thing. But you know, sometimes unity can be a bad thing. Unity is good, but it is possible to be unified around the wrong things. It is very possible to be unified around the wrong things. So I want us to look at the concept of unity, of one today, and I want us to look at it from two perspectives. We're going to compare, on the one hand, the human perspective, uh, unity um, for the sake of unity, which I'm going to argue unity for the sake of unity is not always good. That unity for the sake of unity can sometimes be bad. And then I want to understand unity from the divine perspective, from God's perspective. Do you know that it is God's plan for humanity to be unified? It is God's plan for us to be one. Did you know that? But the vehicle for unity on earth, the vehicle for unity in the church, the vehicle for unity in our country, the vehicle for unity in our world is Jesus Christ. Anything else we unify around is eventually going to let us down. It's eventually going to divide rather than to unify. And even if it does not divide humanity, unifying around anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ, may not divide humanity, but it will divide humanity from God. I want us to see that God's goal for humanity this morning is a redeemed whole people who are unified in Christ. If you would do me the honor of turning in your copy of God's Word to the book of Ephesians. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week, going through this book, and we're going to start in verse 1, or in verse 7 of chapter 1, rather. If you would stand with me uh, out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to go through verse 10. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both, of which, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Father, we thank you that you have a desire for us to be unified, that you desire for us to be together, but Lord, we acknowledge that you desire us to be together in Christ. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who does not know Christ, Lord, that they would first find unity with you and thereby find unity with the rest of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. One Christ, one redemption, one 
people. Do you as a church desire those three things? Do you desire us to be united around the one Christ in our one redemption as one people? How beautiful is it when God's people dwell together in unity? It is a wonderful thing. You know how you can tell a healthy church? It's a church that's unified. You know, I used to, I, I used to talk to some other pastor friends of mine, and one of them said to me, Josh, you know how you can tell how healthy a church is? And I was like, oh, Lord, this is scary. Get ready. I'm about to give you a thermometer. You ready? Here's how to tell how healthy a church is. When the service is over, how quick do people want to get out the back door? Do you love the folks you're around? Do you want to chat with them? Do you want to see how they're doing? Or are you thinking, whew, good, we're out of here. I'm done. I'm leaving. Check my box for the week. I'm done. I'm out. That's, that's not a good sign. Unity. Thankfully, God has given us a reason to be unified. And throughout the course of this text, we're going to see some reasons to unify that aren't so well. But I want us to walk through and look at some of the unity God has provided. First, starting in verse 7, God has provided one path of redemption to any who will take it. One path of redemption. One. If you go back to verses 3 through 6 that we covered last week, you can see, and these are all just right there for the taking in verses 3 through 6, that we are blessed in who? Christ. That we are chosen, who? Verse 4, in Christ. That we are predestined and adopted by and through, who? Christ. That we are made acceptable in who? Christ. And then in verse 7, who do we have redemption in? What are the first two words of verse 7? In Him, which is referring to Christ. That redemption in Christ is both exclusive and inclusive. How many of y'all have ever wanted to be part of an exclusive club? Makes you kind of stand up a little bit straighter. You put your shoulders back. Straighten. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in there. I have a membership. I am part of an exclusive club. That's not what I mean when I say exclusive. Uh, uh, anybody can come to Christ that wants to. If you're sitting in here today, well, how do I know if God's chose me? How do I know if God wants me? Are you hearing the gospel? Respond. There is nothing stopping you from responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You come to Jesus. He'll forgive you of your sins. Period. It's not really any more complicated. But you do understand when I say come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible doesn't necessarily ever say share the gospel. It says preach the gospel. That Jesus is not a suggestion. Repentance is commanded. God doesn't give us the option of multiple ways to be forgiven. Well, I just don't know if I could follow a God who would just give... You know, think, what about, what about all these folks who just the church isn't for them? Really? What about the Son of God who died for you? Does it seem insulting to God that you would say, well, God, I understand that I have this sin problem. I get it. I understand how that could be an issue, what with you being holy, omnipotent perfection. 
and me not. I understand that. Uh, but I don't know that I like the idea of Jesus being the way. Can't we do something, I don't know, simpler, something like I'm used to, kind of like I'm used to at work. If I do a good job, my boss pats me on the back and I get a raise. How about that? How about I try my best and I do a good job, and at the end you pat me on the back and you raise me. That's not the way it works. You don't get to choose your pathway to God. There is one pathway to God. It is exclusive in the sense that Jesus is the only way, and it is inclusive in the sense that anybody can respond to that way. You can, you can have a share in Jesus today if you will respond. Now, I want us to look at how it is exclusive. One, in Him, we have the redemption through His blood. In Him, look at your handout. You can see in Acts 4.12 nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I don't care if you're the best Buddhist in the world. I don't care if you're the best Muslim. I don't care if you're the best Hindu. I don't care if you are a sincere, well-meaning, secular humanist. You give a lot of your money to charity, you serve, you do a lot of good stuff. It doesn't matter. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That Jesus is it. But then it's also inclusive. Romans 10, 11, and then also 13. Uh, for the scripture says in verse 11, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever. Verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Exclusive in the sense that Jesus is the only way. Inclusive in the sense that he can be the only way for anybody who calls on him. What type of redemption? God's provided one path of redemption, but what does this mean? Redemption. Uh, one of the best illustrations I heard is, do you ever, when you, when you were a kid, you get little cereal boxes, you get little things, and they had, you know, you get this many box tops or this many proofs of price. I, you know, I haven't seen in like the last five or ten years anybody do this. I guess that's because your kid can just get a gift card and get on Amazon now and order whatever they want. But they used to have these little things and cereal boxes. It was like, you know, if you had this many boxes of cereal, you had this many proofs of purchase, then you could gather them all up and you could put them in this thing called an envelope that you put this thing called a stamp on and you put it in this thing called a mailbox and it would go somewhere. And after a while, somebody would receive that and they would get it and they would send you back, you know, your decoder ring or whatever it is you wanted. You had your prize that you would redeem the proofs of purchase for. In other words, the thing you wanted had a price. Something had to be paid to get it. Some proof had to be given. Well, what was the type of redemption? It says the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Here's the redemption. Having forgiven you all his trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's the price of redemption. What did it cost for you to be redeemed? It cost God Jesus. It cost God his son. That was the price to be paid for your redemption. The Greek word here is actually the word apolutrosis. 
It has a root word that means ransom. Have y'all ever seen these TV shows where somebody gets taken captive and they put the little muffler on their voice and they call somebody and they say, deliver a million dollars by so-and-so in the trash can at the park or little Jimmy's getting it. No offense, Jimmy. I just had to pick a name. I don't actually plan on taking you captive. Um, but ransom, that someone has been taken captive by someone or something and there is a price for their release. We were enslaved to sin and all of its attendant problems. And there was a price to be paid for our release. Why? Because God is a good God. And God is a good judge. And God promised way back in Genesis 3, if you sin, what will happen to you? You will die. We sinned, and what has been happening ever since Genesis 3? We die. Let God be true and every man be proved a liar. The wages of sin is death, and if you want the proof, every open casket six feet under proves it. That's how you know that God is telling the truth. Satan says you surely will not die. Ask the person who got buried. You'll die. There had to be death for God to forgive sin, and the price was blood. But we couldn't pay in our own blood because it's our sin that had to be paid for. We had sin of our own, so we can't pay for the sin of others. But Jesus had no sin, so Jesus could pay for ours. Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. That without the shedding of innocent blood of which on planet earth there was none. There could be no remission of sins. I dare you to go read the rest of the book of Hebrews that who would have ever thought the blood of bulls and goats, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, could have provided that one redemption for us. But no, it was the blood of Christ that we have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to our goodness and our hard work. Nope. According to our long-standing membership at Stapleton Baptist Church. No. According to my 2016 contribution statement that I know I have because I'm a good person and have already done my taxes. No, I haven't. No. According to the riches of his grace. You know that God had absolutely no mandated reason he had to do what he did? God could have been perfectly good and perfectly just to say, you know what, they get what they deserve. I told them, they obey, they live, they sin, they die, they sin, they die. That's it. He could have done that. And he would have still been good. Because we were the ones that were bad. Not him. But instead, he took the cost on himself. It was according to the riches of his grace that God has provided one path of redemption to any who will take it. And do you know this is true for anybody on earth? 
There's not a gospel for America and a gospel for South America and a gospel for Europe and a gospel for Africa and a gospel for the Middle East and a gospel for Russia and a gospel for Northeast Asia and a gospel for Southeast Asia and a gospel for Australia. There's the gospel. This is why we can have brothers like the Gideons who they can take the same Bible anywhere. You don't have to have the Australian edition. This is why I chuckle when the Mormons say the Book of Mormon is, a, is another testament of Jesus Christ for the folks who lived in North... No! There's one gospel. We don't need another testament of Jesus Christ. I could, I could spend my whole life on this one. That there is one path of redemption for any who will take it. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And God has revealed, second, God has revealed that one gospel clearly to anybody who will listen. Verse 8 and verse 9. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all. I texted my former pastor this week and I said, pros of being an expository preacher. That being, if you'll notice, the way I preach is I take one book and I go verse by verse straight down the line. If I end in verse 6 last week, I'm going to start in verse 7 this week. That's been the way we've operated this whole time, and Lord keeps giving me breath, and y'all keep putting up with me. That's the way we'll keep going. But pros of being an expository preacher is that I am confident when I stand up here that I'm preaching the Word of God in the context that the Holy Spirit inspired it in, and I feel pretty confident that I'm giving you exactly what God intends you to get, even if it hurts, which sometimes it does. In the case of this week, it hurt for a different reason, that your pastor spent the better part of two hours fighting in his head and through commentaries trying to figure out where the comma was supposed to go. Because sometimes the comma changes an entire meaning of a sentence. And in this sentence, in verses 8 and 9, listen to this. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, verses 3 through 14, if you're reading this in Greek, here's some Greek fun facts for you. There are no periods and commas in Greek. So if you've got periods and commas in your Bible, that's your English translators doing their best to interpret what Paul was saying. If you're an English teacher, at this point, you would pick up the paddle or the the ruler and wrap it across Paul's fingers because verses 3 through 14 is one run-on sentence. It just keeps right on rolling. So if you've got periods and commas in there, that's your translators trying to figure out what in the world we need to subdivide this Greek thought into. I feel like a couple of other translations probably do a better job than my new King James at it. Uh, If you read it in the ESV, uh, Paul says, In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. New American Standard. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. New International Version. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Uh, In other words... If the negative aspects of his grace, and when I say negative, I mean the aspects of his grace that take something away from us. In other words, what did he take away from us graciously? Our sin and the penalty thereof. 
That is the negative aspects of his grace. Things that God graciously took away from us that he didn't have to. Negative aspects of his grace. The wisdom and prudence or the wisdom and insight regarding his will are the positive aspects of his grace. Things that he gave us he didn't have to. So if the negative aspects of his grace are that he took away our sin and the penalty thereof, the positive aspects of his grace is that he has given us wisdom and insight according to his will. What wisdom and insight are we talking about regarding his will? How many of you, you don't have to put your hand up, but if you so feel led, go right ahead. How many of you want to know the will of God? Your pastor does. I want to know the will of God, right? But how can I know the will of God unless God himself reveals it to me? I can't. I can't get in God's head. Thankfully, I have revelation of God's will. But more specifically, I'm going, I'm going to jump the gun here and go forward to Ephesians 3, 5, and 6. Listen to Paul, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That I'll put it this way. We're going through Acts on Sunday night, right? We just saw a couple of weeks ago Philip share the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. We started in the book of Acts, and we see Jesus' closest disciples. We see the Holy Spirit fall on them. Then we see the Holy Spirit fall on Jewish believers that are in Jerusalem at Pentecost. We see the Holy Spirit fall there. Then we see the uh, Ethiopian eunuch come to faith in Christ on, on, the road, uh, on, the, on the road with Philip. We've seen Saul come to Christ, who's a Jew, but let's be real, he was, frankly, he was a terrorist and a murderer. We've seen him come to Christ. You scroll forward a little bit in the book of Acts, there's going to be this man named Cornelius. And if you want to see a shock in the church, it blows their mind that a Gentile comes to Christ. Because for the longest time, the promises of God were to the Jews. That the most a Gentile could hope for is God won't blow you up. You bless, you bless the Jews, God blesses you. You curse the Jews, God curses you. Abrahamic covenant, right? Land, seed, blessing. I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to give it to you and to your many descendants in perpetuity. And I will bless you so much that you will be a blessing to all nations, that these promises of God to Abraham were for the Jews. But the plot twist, the surprise, the wisdom and insight regarding God's will that he gave us, according to Paul here in Ephesians, is that God wanted to include us. See, we spend our entire life thinking, oh, this, we take the gospel for granted, y'all. We take the message of Jesus for granted. We were in Sunday school this morning. Could you, 
Anthony was teaching, our Sunday school started in chapter 16 today, but he backed up a couple back to chapter 14, because I hope Lifeway's not listening to this. The, the book's labeled Matthew 14 through 28, but it, uh, it kind of started in chapter 16, so do what you do. Um, but we went back over those first couple chapters. Could you, could you imagine being that woman who comes to Jesus and says, heal me, heal my child. And Jesus says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Why do we never talk about that story? And the persistence of that woman, I'm not leaving. Jesus, heal my child. Eventually he says, woman, your faith is great. Let it be to you as you have said. That we can talk about persistence, but which of you have ever gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, save me? And he said, nope, you're not a Jew. He's never done that. Never once has he done that. Do you know that that's shocking to the early church? But we take it for granted. The surprise, the plot twist in the end is that God's will was for this one path of redemption, this one gospel, to be for everybody. Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, Asians, Africans, South Americans, North Americans, uh, Canadians. I know they're North Americans, but they're way up there. Russians, Arabs, Indians, Chinese, Japanese, Aboriginals. One gospel for everybody that God wanted to include everybody in this. That the mystery of God's, uh, God's will is the existence of one gospel for everyone. That we maintain with the saints of old, that God has a chosen people who are promised a land of their own, who are descended from Abraham and who will be blessed beyond measure. God's ble God blessing those who bless them and cursing those who curse them. But we now understand here at the end of all days that the promises of God are not restricted to Abraham's physical descendants, but also belong to his spiritual ones, both Jew and Gentile. Do you know where my promised land is? My promised land is not in the Middle East in a place called Israel. My promised land is not even in a place called heaven. <gasps> Do you know that we're not going to stay in heaven forever? Do you know that heaven's not going to stay in heaven forever? That God's going to remake the earth and the whole planet is our promised land. A creation that's not racked by sickness and disease and death and sadness. A land where there will never again be an election. Yes, praise the Lord, it'll be perfect. Because my king had never been on a ballot. And if he was, nobody would dare to run against him. <laughs> Do you know that the blessings of Abraham belong to those who have faith in Christ? Romans 4, 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father 
of us all. That if you place your faith in Christ, if you trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, not your works, not your church membership, not your money, not your mission trips, not anything else. You place your faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And guess what? You will be a child of Abraham in the eyes of God. With all the attendant blessings thereof. What? A promised land. You, are, you will be one of the offspring of Abraham. Not according to the flesh, but according to faith. And you get all the blessings thereof. There is one gospel for everybody. Not just for the Jews, but also for us Gentiles. There is one God, there is one path of redemption that God has provided to any who would take it. There's one gospel that has been proclaimed clearly to all who would listen. And then finally, God will bring together one unity from all who are in Christ. This is what I want us to talk about unity. We have one redemption that that ties us together. There's one gospel that ties us all together. But finally, what about the one unity we all have in Christ? Verse 10 that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. How many of y'all turn on the news at any point during the week and come away from it going, wow, we are a unified people? <laughs> what are you watching? If that's your response, come on, y'all. But you know what's sad is I can turn on the TV and I see plenty of unity. I see one group of people totally unified in hating another group of people and vice versa. We can unify around wrong things. We can unify around being Democrats. We can unify around being Republicans. We can unify around being rich. We can unify around being poor. We can unify around whether or not we like a law. We can unify around whether or not we dislike a law. We can unify based on the color of our skin, the words of our language, the nation of our origin. We can unify around all sorts of things. But have you ever noticed when we tend to unify around those things, we tend to unify in small pockets and hate the people who aren't like us. Have you ever noticed that? That's not real unity. That's compartmentalization. We're going to take everything in this category and put it right here. We're going to take everything in this category and put it right here. But the problem is these two categories are, are opposed to each other, so this category has got to get rid of this category so we can be the only category. That's not the message of the church. That's not the message of the gospel. And that's not God's plan for God's people. I want you to think back to Babel with me for a second. Humanity had the desire to be united. Genesis 11, 4 through 7. This isn't on your handout, but I'll just read it to you. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. I don't need God to get there. I can get there on my own. Let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Lest be unified, everybody. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. 
Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Do you see that this is God actively working against unity? Why would God do that? That must mean that there are some cases that unity is a bad thing. Unity was most certainly a bad thing here because they were united in their wickedness. And God said they're of one mind, they're one people, and they're all wicked. If I leave them alone, they will destroy themselves. Their wickedness will run rampant with nothing to stop it. So the most loving thing I can do to them is divide them up so that they will be frustrated and not be able to accomplish what their wickedness wants to. It was the mercy of God that divided people at Babel. So God split us up and kept us from being unified because we were unified in our wickedness. But God's plan is for all of us to be unified in Christ. I want you to think just, just for a second that this is also not on your handout, but process it because we've preached, we've been through it in Acts. If you go back to Babel, the people were unified in their wickedness. So what did God do? God supernaturally intervened to confuse their languages so that they could not communicate and accomplish their wickedness. Fast forward to Pentecost. You had people who hear the gospel but are separated by their languages so they cannot unify in righteousness. So God supernaturally intervenes to put their languages together so that they can communicate and accomplish God's righteous will in Christ. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. That way back in Genesis, when we were united in our wickedness, God's mercy was to separate us so we wouldn't destroy ourselves. Whereas in Pentecost, we were separated from each other by our language, by our location, by our ethnicity, but there was one Jesus, there was one gospel. So God said, you know what? This language barrier thing is silly. Let's take care of that, huh? And immediately, everybody started hearing in their own word the mighty works of God. Babel has been reversed. That should be proof positive that God desires unity for us, but he desires unity for us in Christ. Across linguistic barriers, national borders, uh, racial barriers, economic barriers. Dare I even say it, political barriers. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know, there are two theological terms there's the, regarding the church. There's something called the church militant, and there's something called the church universal. The church militant is us right now. Why? Because we are on earth doing what Paul called fighting the good fight. That doesn't mean that we actually pick up guns and, and go attack things. That's not what I mean when I say the church militant. Hear that, record that. Pastor did not say get violent and be the church militant. Okay? I did not say that. That just means that we are on earth right now. We're in the war zone. But there are those saints who have gone on in Christ before us that are in the presence of the Lord. They're not fighting anymore. Do you know that we are one with them in Christ as part of what's called the church universal? The Hebrew says there's so great a cloud of witnesses watching us. Do you know that those saints who have gone on before us are basically sitting up in heaven going, 
Go on. Come on, guys. You can do it. We got through it. You can too. We are one in Christ. And then finally, look at this. The most beautiful picture of unity in diversity that you could ever hope to see. Revelation 21, 23 through 26. The new Jerusalem, the new earth. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Pause right there. The nations of those who are saved? You mean we're not all going to live in the same nation on the new earth? You mean there are going to be different places? Yeah. Imagine that. This is proof positive that God is the ruler of the world, that you can have a bunch of different nations on the face of the planet Earth, but they're all unified. They all share the same ultimate ruler. They all share the same one Lord who has redeemed them. They're nations who have been saved. That there is diversity. There are different places. Do you know that I, I honestly believe based on this passage there will be places on earth in the new creation that they retain their culture. They retain their food. They retain their music. They retain all the things that make them distinct. Why? Because God is a creative God who creates lots of distinct things. The new creation doesn't destroy the creativity of God. It lets it blossom. And its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There are differences. There are different places, there are different nations, there are different peoples. But do you know what unifies them all? The thing that gives all of them the ability to walk into the new Jerusalem. The blood of Christ. That we are unified in Christ. That there is one gospel for all of us in Christ. There is one blood that forgives us of sins. It's Christ. There is one hope for unity in the world. It's Christ. Y'all, the, the hope for the world is not putting the right person or a different person or keeping a person in a White House. Do you hear me? It doesn't matter. It's the same thing with the Senate. It's the same thing with the House. It's the same thing with the State House. It's the same thing with any governor's mansion. It's the same thing with the United Nations. It's the same thing with Buckingham Palace or Downing Street or wherever you want to put somebody. You can put anybody in, in governmental leadership you want to. That's not going to solve the unity problems in the world. It's not an office that someone is put into that brings unity. It's a cross that someone was put onto. Be unified around Christ. Find your redemption in Christ. Be forgiven in Christ. Stapleton, just, if you just walk away with two words today, let it be those. In Christ. And anytime your heart has the urge to chase something or someone else as the solution, run right back to those two words. In Christ. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, 
then the word of God, I can tell you on the authority of the word of God, you are lost and dead in your sins and trespasses. You are separated from this God who desires to be in unity with you. Who desires you to be in unity with him and the rest of the saints from throughout history. The way you can do that is to place your faith in Jesus Christ and confess to God right here today, Lord, I am a sinner. I am lost. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. But I believe that redemption was purchased for me through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I trust in him and him alone for my salvation. Forgive me, Lord, and I will follow you the rest of my life. You can confess your sins to God and trust in Jesus Christ, and you will find unity with God and with his people today. I'm going to pray. If you need to come, you can come up here. You can talk with me. We can set up a time to sit down and talk more at length. we got a guest card on the side of your bulletin. You can fill that out and put it in the offering plate when it comes by, or you can catch me at the back door on the way out. I'm sure you could probably catch Brother David at the back door, too. I'm sure he'd love to share the gospel with you. That's kind of what they do. Um, but don't leave here today without trusting Jesus if you hear the Holy Spirit's call. I'm going to pray. Preston's going to lead us in a couple verses. You need to come. You come. Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you so much for your word and for the, the, the grace of revealing your will to us that you intend for all people, all nations, all places to trust in the one Jesus, the one gospel, to be redeemed and find ourselves in unity with you and each other. We love you, and I ask if there's anybody lost here today, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them and draw them to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.